Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to tell you about a new book from Faith Matters Publishing. It's called Restoration by Patrick Mason. Um, When we started the Faith Matters Publishing Project, one of our goals was to explore what restoration really means as the church moves into its third century, and that's exactly what Patrick does. If you're like me and you've ever wondered how restoring Israel can be relevant to you, you've got to read this book. Patrick shows how, as members of the church, it's our mission to truly lead out in bringing wholeness and healing to the marginalized and the vulnerable. This book absolutely lit a fire for me, and it has totally changed the way I view my own engagement with the church and with the world. I really can't recommend this book strongly enough. It's the kind of book you want everyone you know to be reading too, so that you can talk about it. So you can pick up a copy for yourself or for your friends and family at Desert Book, um, Amazon, Audible, and Apple Books. Okay, that's it on the book for now, but we'll be sharing a lot more in the near future. Thanks as always, and here's the episode. Welcome back to this deep dive with Thomas Worthlin McConkie, mindfulness teacher and researcher in the field of adult development. I'm Bill Turnbull from Faith Matters Foundation, and in this episode, we explore the spiritual practice of meditation and mindfulness. What can it teach us about our true selves and about our false selves? How can these practices help us get unstuck when we seem to have reached a spiritual plateau? I notice after 20 years of being in a regular meditation practice and prayer practice that the world feels more effortlessly holy to me. Join us for this third episode in our deep dive with Thomas McConkie. All right, well, we're back. And in this conversation, we are going to talk a little bit more about meditation and mindfulness specifically as a practice and how meditation and mindfulness can help us when we become developmentally stuck. Teilhard de Chardin, who is a wonderful uh, French Jesuit priest, he was a contemporary of Einstein, almost an exact contemporary of Einstein, if I'm not mistaken. And he was a scientist as well, a Jesuit priest, famous paleontologist, discovered Peking Man, which was... I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he... It's, he was, know that about he would have been famous, if only for being a paleontologist, but then he became very well known as a um, philosopher and theologian. Cosmic Christian mystic. Yeah, yeah, yeah and mystic. Powerful being. We'll probably talk a little bit more about Teilhard, but uh, there's a famous quote most people have heard. He said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Hmm. But that's a hard realization. To come to why is that hmm well it's it's a profound insight or what we might say on the meditative path it's a profound realization when we talk about realization and meditation we're not talking about what you think we're not talking about what you believe we're talking about what you have realized through the immediacy of your own experience because right, it's so, easy to assent to what he says. It's, it's like, gorgeous. Oh, sure, yeah. Course, who yeah. doesn't want who to want believe to, who that? Would not agree I'll with that. Sign me up for that school. Yeah. 
to actually realize that in your entire body for that for that idea, which because it's an idea, it's it's words that he organized for us. But for that idea to colonize our entire being, there's a process that goes on. It's a developmental process. And my experience is it's a very harrowing process at times and a very rewarding one. Mm. So, so why is it hard? Because being human's hard. <laughs> there's, there's a lot between, you know, the experience of just being this, you know, bag of flesh and getting to the place where we realize we're, you know, the, the universal spirit, you know, giving birth to all form. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an amazing thing that we're even on that path to begin with. Quite an amazing thing. So there's a, a thread that runs through what you do and what really mindfulness is about. And it's to reconnect us. We've talked about this in earlier sessions, but to, it's to reconnect us to a more fundamental self, an ancient self, hmm. uh, our sort of original identity. What happens to that identity? What, why, why do we have to reconnect with it? Why does it become so lost? This is a great mystery. Um, if, you, if you talk to uh, the Eastern masters, they'll ask this question in a slightly different way. They'll, they'll say, why don't people realize they're already enlightened? <laughs> Would be another way of stating that question. So we, you know, through uh, latter-day revelation, we know that we are this intelligence that's co-eternal with God. But I don't feel like co-eternal intelligence with God when I'm, you know, stuck in a long, you know, line at the grocery store and I'm trying to get home and I'm hungry and it was a hard day at work. I feel like I'm in this oppressive state and it's all I can do to just escape from it and, you know, taste a brief bit of joy in my otherwise, you know, struggle of a day. Mm -hmm. So something gets obscured there. You know, I, uh, uh, Wordsworth said, he had this intuition it's in his famous poem, he said, our birth is but a sleep and a forgetting. Mm. This forgetting yeah. is our reality, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's, I, I can't even pretend to explain, you know, why it is that we do forget. Why do we sleep? But metaphorically, I can speak to the fact that it certainly feels like waking up, you know, as we practice, as we deepen, as we expand and grow and develop. We look back on who we used to believe we were and it very much, it's, it's quite a beautiful metaphor that's surprisingly consistent across many wisdom traditions. It's not just Christianity. You'll, you know, you'll see instances of that metaphor in Buddhism and Islam. It's, it's almost a universal metaphor. It's pointing to something real, that something about us sleeps. And yeah, there's a paradox here because let's say spirit enters a human body. Spirit takes human form. And from the moment spirit takes human form, it goes about waking up the body. It goes about redeeming carnality, we could say in Christian terms. So there, there's something incredibly necessary about so-called sleep. This is where the metaphor shifts. Is it sleep? Is it a bad thing that I forgot that I am co-eternal with God? Or is it a necessary part of my descent, you know, to empty myself of my godly station to descend in the flesh like it talks about in philippians yeah to actually take that on and wake up and redeem carnality through spirit mm -hmm. that that's what's on the line here that's what it we're is talking but waking about. up is not that it's not that easy it doesn't come that naturally to us and why is that we 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 come to believe mm -hmm. as we go through our life um and our ego begins to assert itself in our lives we come to believe that 
don't we that what's going on in our minds, those thoughts, that constant story that we tell ourselves, the constant, you know, the, the noise that's going on in our mind, yeah. that is our reality. That is us. Yeah. That's all we're conscious of. Right. What are those voices? What are those conversations going on in our mind? Madness, Bill. It's <laughs> madness. Uh, you know, you're, you're pointing to, you know, one of the classic steps in the path where, you know, most of us, I think there are some important exceptions, but most of us, we start off in human life asleep in this, what is called in the text, a gross state of consciousness. We're completely embedded in this discursive mind. We we don't know where thoughts are coming from, where they're going, but we're, we're enslaved to them mm. in a very real way. Uh, and part of the early training is to actually settle down into a restful state uh, to allow all of that content, all of that chatter in the mind to quiet down to the point where we get an insight. We, we realize that we are aware and we are present in between thoughts. Mm. And what is it that's still here and still present and awake? when thought isn't happening. Yeah. So, it, you know, we disidentify from that identity as just this gross self, body thinking mind, and we wake up a little bit. If you're trying to absorb this sort of eternal identity or realize this, this eternal identity, those thoughts are like static mm-hmm. in your receiver, right? They're, that's kind of how I look at it sometimes. If you're a you're trying to receive some pure signal, but there's all this static. And those yeah. static are these kind of almost random sometimes. If you really listen to what's going on oh, in your brain at any given time, I, it's kind of crazy. They'd come and it's, lock us up. There's stories or little <laughs> fragments of stories that, don't, that may or may not even be true. Right. Well, they're not, you know. Right. And, uh, and we get lost in those stories of who we are and what we're about in the world. And, yeah. and so how do you break through that static, that what the that you have to develop, first of all, religion serves a purpose of giving us a different story, a deeper story, doesn't it? For sure. I, yeah, I love the, the our story is Our story is, instead of these little stories that we have in our mind, our story is a much larger one, that we're co-eternal with God. Right. So we know, at least by our story, that there's something deeper there. But then how do you connect to that? And that's yeah. where prayer and meditation, spiritual practices can really help us out, right? I totally agree. And, you know, to link back to an earlier conversation we had about obedience in, in a session earlier, uh, it's interesting. I, I find it unfortunate that we don't relate obedience to uh, spiritual progress in the way that Buddhism has laid it out. Mm. What I mean by this is in Buddhism, there's a very classic progression. They talk about sila samadhi prajna. Sila are the moral precepts. They're the commandments. They're, you know, you shouldn't steal and you shouldn't take another person's life and you should be chaste, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's a lot of uh, agreement in terms of their moral precepts and in the Christian code. Right. And they, they're very specific that the reason we're obedient is that that kind of lifestyle is conducive to a settled mind. It reduces disturbances in the field. It allows us to train our mind and our heart and our spirit on something higher, on something transcendent. So in the Buddhist progression, the next step is samadhi, which is single-pointed concentration. And imagine if we had that understanding that, you know, you're you're doing this stuff to help you. You're following the commandments for many reasons, one of them being it helps you settle your mind, rest, set your heart on God, and realize higher realities that are, you know, open to you. 
Yeah, it's an interesting. Thing. I think we understand that. Maybe we don't. We're probably not as explicit about it as right. a very simple Buddhist understanding. I yeah. think we do understand, and I think uh, you know, to link the commandments to deepening your prayer practice, we don't necessarily talk like that, but it absolutely happens Wonderful. if we go there. Yeah. yeah. So, and there's also a very disciplined m- method in Buddhist practice on how to follow that um, meditative path. That Buddhism, yeah, Buddhism gets a lot of credit, I think, rightly, for really elaborating the meditative practices. If you look at the Buddhist tradition, they probably have the most comprehensive meditative system in all the world's traditions. It's not the only one. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of Christian contemplation of centering prayer Mm -hmm. in the Christian tradition. And if you look at the Buddhist tradition, you'll see something that, ooh, that looks a lot like centering prayer. They kind of figured out that mechanism, that exercise. Buddhism, I think, is we would do well to reference it because they've been so exhaustive. They've studied their own mind and heart and consciousness for 2,500 years. And, you know, they took notes. Yeah, it's, It's really deepened my personal conversion in Christianity. So meditation... uh one of the key reasons for to practice meditation is to achieve this sort of to achieve mindfulness, which is mm-hmm. what what does mindfulness look like walking around in life? I notice after twenty years of being in a regular meditation practice and prayer practice that the world feels more effortlessly holy to me mm. than it ever has. I I catch myself getting caught in thought. I catch myself struggling against just, you know, a given moment. And I also, through the 20 years of practice, I've kind of trained this response of noticing when I'm bracing and letting go and noticing when I'm getting tense and letting go. And when I'm able to just relax into the flow of it, I'm, I have the direct experience that I'm just being blessed. Does it turn you outward? seems to me that if a, a practice that's worth practicing would open your, open your heart both to your, you know, your divine nature and to those around you, like, yeah. you like break your heart open and open you to the world. And so I think if, if, a, if a practice like that would be embraced by Mormonism because we're all about engaging the world, right, from an open heart, that's, right. that's our goal. Right. Um, that's a, a, a practice that cultivates charity. Can a mindfulness practice, does a mindfulness practice cultivate charity? This is where I think there's an opportunity to cross-fertilize traditions. Uh, you know, in, in a Buddhist context, you would talk about, you know, the, the bodhisattva vow, the heart of compassion to serve all of humanity and its mm-hmm. awakening. Um, My answer, the short answer is absolutely we can use basic mindfulness practices and skills to awaken the heart and inspire deeper service in community. Let me give an example. We talk about service as something, it's it's not a rule, but it's, it's a rule, like you need to serve. We have service built into your daily, weekly life as a member of a Mormon church and community. Yeah. 
By the way, I mean, service is a noun. It's almost like something you put up on the board and say, okay, there's service. We've got to do service. Yeah, no, right? it's, and that it, right, it takes, a, takes some of the uh, intimacy out of it by sometimes the way we talk about it. I, like I, a task to be accomplished. That's insightful. Fun. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the way we language things. Uh, we can relate to service as a noun from a particular point of view, like to be obedient, I'm going to do service this week. Mm. When we uh, develop, as we mature, as we come into newer sensibilities, uh, we might serve from the very, very essence of who we know ourselves to be. If, if I am spirit, if I am spirit having a human experience, then it's my, all, it's my gift, it's my opportunity to just go bless the world. And I spend all day, every day, just offering blessing. And that's not coming from a place I should do that. That's, that's who I am. That is the doing that I am. Mm. And I, I, my experience is that a, a basic prayer, meditation practice can really help us develop that, that deeper sense of service where it just gushes from the very core of who we are. Yeah, there's something about this contemplation experience, this meditation experience that can take us really deep mm-hmm. to who we are, to our core. And from that, on the other side of that, after we've been there, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, gotta, you, you need to sit in that and really get in touch with that and let the spirit marinate in the spirit of that. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of that, things will come to your mind, ways that you can reach out and open your heart to other people. That's, my, that's been my experience with meditation. That's been when my meditation and prayer practice have become fruitful. It's that. Right. It's marinating in that spirit without yes. an agenda, without language, just right. being still. And then on the other side of that, something powerful comes out. And you, you stand up from your, from your meditation, from your prayer, and you feel inspired you right. something's burning in you you, right. you you know you need to reach out right so that i love how you said that and it brings up uh, another example for me how many people listening have had this experience like i mean i'm going way back here i should go rake my neighbor's leaves next door that would be the christian service oriented thing to do it's like i should do that i'll go do it i did it i didn't love it while it was happening but i'm glad i, I did, did it. it's better, better than, than watching tv it. like that was good for me yeah. but what you're showing pointing, up's better than not showing up for ex- sure exactly and and i think that's what gets us doing it cuz we get a genuine glimpse of like oh that's what it feels like to serve something good happened there it, but the reason i named that example is because there's so many examples of service that Mm, that doesn't call to me. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because I should do it. My experience with this progression of meditative awareness and service is that the more we develop in our meditative prayer practice and our relationship to God, the more unique and authentic our our, our way of showing up feels. Like yeah. the way I'm serving, no one else could do this because like this is my service. This is the deepest expression of my unique self to the world. So service, it takes on this whole new flavor of I'm actually being used by the spirit to bless the world in a unique way that no one can replicate. Yeah. And that, that's an exhilarating feeling. And I think a meditation practice helps us develop to that kind of service. So that's what mindfulness might look like in this context of serving our fellow man. Experience it more deeply. I want to talk about another aspect of meditation and mindfulness, which has to do with embodiment, which is maybe a strange term 
for a Mormon audience to hear, but it's not a strange idea at all for us. We actually talk about one of the um, uh, scripture tells us that spirit and element inseparably connected receives the fullness of joy. So there's some very mm-hmm. radical um, idea behind connection of spirit to body that is essential and elemental to our experience and to our enjoyment of that experience. And how can mindfulness, I guess, you know, in some way, mindfulness is that, that feeling of that connection. Yeah. Well, yeah, I love this topic. We spoke earlier about sleep and gross state consciousness where we're just absorbed in thought. How many adults can relate to that? Where, you know, if you were able to record how much time during the day the thought the thinking mind is just running, it would have to be over 90, 95%, maybe, I don't know, overwhelming share of bandwidth on a given day, just the thinking mind. We, and what you're physically doing is just, you, you're basically on autopilot. Instinct. You can be, washing, you can be <laughs> right. washing the dishes and not even know you're washing the yep. dishes. You can be driving. I can sometimes drive to some place and not even remember how I got there. Exactly. Because I'm so lost in my thoughts. Exactly. So we, we free up from the tyranny of the thinking mind in initial stages of meditation. And what that does developmentally is it frees up awareness to just pour through, flow through the body so that we're now aware of what's sometimes called a phenomenal self. Think of all the phenomena that comprise, you know, a body, heart, mind, spirit. I'm aware of physical sensation. I'm more aware of my emotional body now. I'm still aware of my thoughts, but I'm not so stuck to them that they're hogging up bandwidth and blinding me from, you know, the the three-dimensional screen of the body that is just going off moment to moment. So just this basic progression in a mindfulness practice, it, it frees up awareness to just course through our entire body and give us this experience of being more fully alive and awake. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's just for starters. <laughs> we, we give a lot of attention and a lot of value in our society and our culture. And often, and even, even in the Mormon faith, uh, to intellectual activity, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, abstracting ideas and putting up on a board and analyzing them and thinking deeply through them. And um, what's the cost of that? What is the what and and what is the what do you think about enthroning intellectual activity as we do? We we always want to be the smart one. Yeah, the smart true, people are the true. ones that are really yeah. they're the ones that are really respected, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, don't you hear that a lot? One. Person's so smart. You don't often hear, "Wow, that that guy is so embodied. He just inspires me as a bishop. My bishop is so embodied." Yeah, yeah you, you don't hear that as much. I think that's changing. I think. It's, it's a natural, it's a corollary of an achiever world. We've talked about how developmental stages have their particular values, what mm. they notice, what they care about, what they act on and respond to. I, I think uh, one of the features of an achiever world is that we love the intellect because this is really where the intellect comes into its own in that stage. And yet we know the costs. I mean, we... Look at heart disease and obesity in America. Look at the number of hours we're staring at our devices and flickering screens. The, the body is getting sick 
it's uh, uh, in pain, and we have a million ways to avoid the pain of just being in a mortal body. I, I think mindfulness is this profound invitation back into this embodied state. Yeah, uh, we hold tensions in our body that we aren't right. even aware of. Don't right. Um, so I, there's a lot of um, impetus in society now toward practices that right. are more embodied. Like right. Yoga is huge. You can go down to the Relief Society, uh, right. you know, down, down to the church in the Relief Society room, they're doing yoga. Or uh, Right. We, we adults miss our bodies. Yeah. We, we've distanced ourselves so much from the incarnate world that we're developing practices to invite us back in. I have a story. Just this morning, I was meditating with my wife. We like to wake up and sit next to each other for a little bit. She told me after she sat that she noticed, she was so excited. She was energized. That's key here. She was just lit up. She said, I noticed that like there was this vague sense of discomfort in my body. I could not locate it. I just knew somehow that I was uncomfortable. Mm. And then as I spent more time with it, I noticed that there was pain in my heart. It actually hurt to bring awareness to my heart. The more aware I was of my heart, the more it hurt. Yeah. And yet, paradoxically, as, as it hurt more and more, as she became more and more aware of it, the, su- the quality of suffering stopped. So it hurt more, mm-hmm. but she was suffering less. Mm-hmm. And then she, she described this kind of holding, this clenching in the heart is just kind of melting. Yeah. And this energy freeing up and moving through her whole body. And she just had this epiphany, like, how long have I been avoiding whatever I was feeling in my heart, what, how many things have I done to not feel that? And finally, when I just didn't about face and I felt it, it, it relaxed, it gave, and it freed up all of this vitality in me. Yeah. And how often do we have, I think in, in common life, we hold those tensions in our bodies a lot and just don't bring awareness to them. Somehow the world of our thoughts is more real than the world of our bodies, which is strange. Right. Um, and we don't pay attention to the, right. what our body is telling us. Right. Um, I, one of my, one of my favorite books, I think C.S. Lewis's best book is The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, um, he's, it's, it's basically people traveling from hell on a bus and they go, they go to heaven, right? And what, what you learn, what they finally figure out is hell, uh, is disembodied living. Mm. That's what it is. Mm. The, the intellectual life is pretty good mm. in hell, but they don't, they, they don't, they're disembodied. Mm. Um, and so when they visit heaven, um, heaven is such a real place that it's actually painful to them. Mm. And um, they flee from it. They flee back into their minds in mm. this world of abstract thoughts. Right. Right. Well, it's, so, yeah, it's a beautiful allegory because it's describing what's happening right now. to All of us is, foregoing heaven yeah right because it's it's, hurt. it's it also a world of their false selves and if mm-hmm. what what they do is they come to heaven and they're <clears> exposed <throat> they're exposed to these false really kind of pitiful selves mm-hmm. but they don't always want to give them up mm-hmm. because it's their story right 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 they they're loath to give them up then they'll retreat they'll go back they'll get on the they'll get on the bus and go back because heaven is too real and so for for c.s lewis um you know, heaven is not a state of mind, it's reality itself. Mm. Hell, on the other hand, is a state of mind. Yeah, beautiful. It's, an, it's, a, it's a total absorption in the life of the mind and this sort of um, these stories we tell ourselves and these false selves that we've created. So. 
a beautiful metaphor. It, it, it touches at the heart of Mormon theology that God can't be God without a body. Yeah. So what does that mean? Like, what, what does that tell us? That tells us that we need to what? Experience a fullness of joy through all of the pain and sorrow and that, that comes with this being a body and being flesh and bone. What about the physical world around us? Like, what does it tell us about our connection to nature, for example? If embodiment is like, okay, we're, because we're also taught that, that nature is mm-hmm. just, is infused with the same sort of spiritual nature. Right, right. Have you ever noticed when you're cleaning your house, tidying up, you know, you, you dust a little bit, you clean the floor, get all the dishes done, that it brightens the space. It doesn't just get rid of like physical clutter, but there's actually on a subtle level, there's a kind of brightness to it. Mm. When you talk about nature, I, I just thought of this cleaning practice spontaneously, that when we put awareness and intention into the physical world, it, it uh, illuminates it in a special kind of way. So back to this theme of, you know, matter without spirit is inert. It's lifeless. Matter with spirit and consciousness is a fullness of joy. I think that's the deep theological implication in Mormonism that, you know, mindfulness is just a, it's a daily practice of doing that. How can I bring my highest awareness into this moment of form? I think that embodiment not only is, embodiment is all, not only us, but it's the creation that surrounds us as well and understand it, connecting to it, feeling it, appreciating it um, is just key to spirituality. For me, mindfulness also does that. It connects me to the natural world in addition to my fellow, my, you know, brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. It's really startling. You pointed to this uh, as we wake up. I think we're quite startled to see how awake the world is staring back at us. Yeah. You know, have you ever had that experience where there's a tree and it's, it's looking at you? You know? I had an experience the other day. I, I was I'm sitting in my little place by the stream where I, I do a lot of reading and meditating, and um, a weasel comes up on the bank of the stream, yeah. and it looked at me in the eye. I swear, I've never seen something more alive than that little thing. Yeah. And it was gone in an instant, yeah. but it looked me straight in the eye as if, like, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there was like an awareness that was right. intense right. in that little creature. And it which says and, a lot about your own internal state of awareness to be able to see its awareness. Yeah. Right? Well, so it's worth cultivating a practice, being obedient to a practice, even if it's 10 minutes a day to create this stillness. And it's not, it's not that easy to do. If you've got a bunch of kids and you've got um, a busy life, um, a, a contemplative practice is is not easy, and so I think I've, I've been actually really blessed by um, guided meditations. Sometimes, sometimes it's like it's the only way that I'm probably going to have this experience. And so, guided yeah. meditations can be a very good way to start. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, and I think um, maybe you maybe you can provide us a guided meditation even at the end of this session. I'd be happy to. Yeah, yeah happy should we do, do that? that? Uh, yeah, before we get into that, one thing I'd like to say, so, you know, a formal mindfulness practice where we, you know, take a certain amount of time out in a given day to practice, 
is really can be really beneficial. I also like to, if not insist, and remind you know students I'm working with that mindfulness just to practice mindfulness is just to create an occasion to notice more fully what's already going on. Mm-hmm. Meaning that I, I'd never want to discourage people by saying, well, if you don't do this, then you're just never going to realize, you know, how amazing this human journey is. You're never going to wake up. What, what's amazing to me is the grace with which this universe was created the, the more sensitive you become, the more closely you start to observe it, the more you realize that actually every moment is this incredibly generous gesture to invite us into a, a more full realization, a fuller joy. Mm-hmm. And sitting still is a great way to notice that. Sitting still is a great way to notice that. And I think it's a, it's a great habit to cultivate. We need to create, yeah, we need to block out time for stillness in our life. I'm convinced of that. Yeah, I, I think people who avail themselves with quiet time stillness each day are lucky yeah you know they 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 wise and by the way we need to mention that you offer um courses on meditation that you offer opportunities at lower lights uh slc yeah dot org dot org yeah lower lights lower lights slc.org yeah um different courses and opportunities to gather and practice meditation and mindfulness and community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, so thank you for that. Thank you for offering that to our community. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll put in a plug that really lower lights is it's an embodied experiment of a lot of what we've been talking about. How can a bit of contemplation, a bit of meditative awareness in our day, draw out the best, most creative and gracious service possible from our unique selves so at lower lights we look at going deep deeply inward in order to go more fully outward really what we're involved in there we're also um hoping to develop soon some uh, meditation practices and aids for specifically for the mormon community yeah i mean we have uh we have a treasure trove we have a, a lot of practices you know, that are inspired by, that come really from the heart of the Mormon tradition that I'm excited to share more fully. We will uh, try to bring that to you through the Faith Matters effort. We're going to do a little practice now. Rather than talking about mindfulness, thinking about meditation, we're just going to do it. We're just going to be it. So wherever you are, I'll invite you to just find a comfortable place where you can be relatively still and undistracted. And you can take a moment to just settle in. Starting with the physical body, just taking a moment to allow the body to settle into a posture that allows you to be both very relaxed, soft, but also alert and present. As you take a moment to settle in, you can 
Remember the quote from Teilhard. We're not human beings having a spiritual experience, but spiritual beings having a human experience. So in that spirit, you can just relax and let go of any tendency to struggle and effort and try to force your way into having a special experience right now. Being spirit and intelligence, having a human experience is plenty special. So just take a moment to appreciate this. Notice the body and how the body is feeling in this moment. Notice the posture, notice sensation. And maybe at the level of personality, you like the way the body feels in this moment, or maybe you don't like it. But see if you can let go of that filter, like, dislike, and just appreciate the flow of feeling, of sensation, of experience. Feel the ground beneath you, supporting you. Feel the cascading sensation of breathing all through the body. Whether the body is mostly comfortable or uncomfortable in this moment or somewhere in between. as awareness, as intelligence and conscious spirit, certainly you can appreciate just the fact that you're experiencing any body at all in this moment. Go ahead and shift your awareness now and notice the flow of emotional energy through the body. Also begin to notice the flow of thought forms, the thinking mind. And just as we tend to struggle with the state of the physical body, we also tend to struggle with emotion and thought. With negative emotion, we want it to go away. We want to feel more positive or happy than we do in a given moment. Or if we're feeling very happy in a moment, we want it to not stop. We want it to last. See if you can just let go of this struggle as well and just appreciate 
being aware of feeling at all. Whatever emotion is present, you can just fully embrace it in awareness. And similarly with thoughts in the mind, there's a tendency, especially when we try and, quote, meditate, to want the mind to be totally quiet, totally still. <clears throat> but see if you can just relax that tendency to struggle, allowing thoughts to flow through the mind as naturally as blood flows through the veins. You don't have to stop the flow of thought. Neither do you have to dive into the content of the thought and get lost in that world. You can just allow thought forms to rise and pass, emotions to come and go all is an integral part of the fullness of joy, the fullness of your humanity. And just notice how this feels when we're not making a problem of the way the physical body's feeling when we're not making a problem of our emotions or our thoughts. We're just open to the flow of our life, moment to moment. Notice what you're aware of. Notice what's here right now when there's no problem to solve. You're just aware present, luminously open. Whatever the conditions of the physical body in this moment, or the conditions of the emotional body, or the thinking mind, or the conditions of all of your entire life, appreciate from this place of open awareness, of spirit, of intelligence, that you can be totally present to these conditions right now.
and that you have the capacity to respond intelligently, to use all of this experience for your good, to grow, to expand, to love and to serve. Every moment of your life, this moment, another deep invitation to open up into a greater fullness, a more selfless love. <laughs>